What a joy to be here again. Uh, thanks for your hospitality, folks. Um, I don't, I'm still working on memorizing the names of my host children. I got them here. Yes, Esther, Abigail, Nathaniel, Timothy, Ruthie, and Micah. I've got a grandson, Micah, so I always think of that one. And, you know, we said grace at the Bosworth house with the kids, and one of the children saying grace said, Lord, thank you for Dr. Boom. And I remembered that... Uh, of course, I used to be Dr. Boom. I've got to explain for those that are disappointed that I'm no longer Dr. Boom that um, since 9-11, it's a little tricky bringing explosives over the border. <laughs> and uh, I'm not called to a prison ministry. Charles Coulson did that, and I never felt called to follow in his footsteps. And uh, Anyway, let's get to Jonah. I was just thinking when you asked that mission orientation program, David, that... Uh, that's what Jonah could have done with, a missions orientation program. But let's read what happened to him. Let's just read, uh, there's only 10 verses in chapter 2, so let's read them as we get into this. Uh, Jonah chapter 2. Uh, remember chapter 1 finishes, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord, because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, Salvation is of the Lord. And so the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What an incredible prayer in incredible circumstances. Yes, we're still thinking about what God does for us, and we're thinking about um, the way God listens to us tonight as we get into this great Jonah chapter 2. One of the little episodes uh, as we think about lessons about prayer tonight is uh, Lucy, of course, skipping, and uh, Linus says, Did you ever pray, Lucy? She said, That's kind of a personal question, isn't it? Are you trying to start some argument? I suppose you think you're pretty smart, don't you? I suppose you think. And of course, Linus says, You know, you're right, Charlie Brown. Religion's a very touchy subject. But I've got to ask, of course you pray. Who comes out Sunday night to the service who doesn't pray? But a question that uh, Linus should have asked is the one that I want to challenge you with you tonight. How do you pray? You pray, but the challenge is, how do you pray? Uh, Jonah, of course, was in a very unusual situation. You remember, he's, uh, you can see this a bit better tonight. What he's facing is this huge fish Fortunately, the Lord provided one without teeth. This is a, actually the biggest fish in the natural world, and it, 
it has very small teeth, but imagine his prayer light started not from the outside of that, but from the inside. Jonah was imprisoned in a dreadful place. He had an amen against all odds, he's alive, but he's in the belly of this huge sea creature. Now, of course, what we usually concentrate on, rather sadly, is what was happening inside that great fish. We're interested in that. But we neglect the most important thing. The important thing was what was happening inside Jonah. That's what we're going to look at tonight. You see, the biggest miracle in this book is it's not the, the fact that Jonah managed to get out of the fish alive. The biggest miracle is the way Jonah found out about the mercy of God, how he discovered that Though he had forsaken God, as we saw this morning, God had not forsaken him. Uh, and in fact, he discovered that God was working through very frightening circumstances to bring about salvation and restoration to Jonah. That's the miracle of the book. More than that, of course, the great revival in Nineveh we'll talk about next Sunday. But in any case, what we understand right off the bat tonight is that God planned through these awful trials to so change Jonah that even though he'd been disobedient, he could still be used to bring the message of salvation to those other undeserving sinners, the dreadful people of Nineveh that we talked about this morning. But as we get into this, remember God's main concern is always what's happening on the inside. This is a strange ECG. You know the ECG checks the condition of our hearts. And God is concerned about, the, I call this the ECG, that's the extremely concerned God. ECG. This is an extremely concerned God who is observing what he cares most deeply about. And that's what's happening to us on the inside. And here's Jonah, I mean, he's in an awful situation. <laughs> I mean, chapter 2, in a way, it starts just like you'd expect. Jonah cries out in prayer. But who wouldn't in those circumstances? Man, in this, it's not at all surprising that Jonah prays. When you're in an incredible, frightening crisis, you, you think of one thing. And Jonah found himself, of course... In a crisis, and I've got to tell you, in a crisis, all your glib words, all your clever explanations disappear. I had lots of things to say about death and, and the next world until I faced that moment when I lost Vivian, and the glib words went, but the promises of Jesus stayed starkly real. And, and, and in these circumstances, understandably, the only thing Jonah could do is to cry out to the Lord. Because in the end, you know, when our world tumbles, help, I mean, help's the only word that comes to our mind. So with Jonah in this crazy situation, unbelievable, the fact that he prayed was totally unsurprising. But what, I mean, it's hard to not pray when you're desperate. I'm fine myself. I've had a neglected day of prayer. I've not really been spending much time with the Lord and and I certainly find I've lost my wallet. Man, I'm praying like crazy. We pray when we're in difficulty, especially when we're desperate. desperate. But the challenge for us tonight about prayer, number one challenge is to be active in prayer and praise in every situation, in good times and bad. 
I mean, we, uh, like this cartoon, Grandma's uh, saying there'll always be prayer in schools as long as there are tests. <laughs> as Mother thinks about poor Jeffy taking his... It wouldn't be a physics test at that age, but, you know... <laughs> Of course, there'll always be prayer as long as there are tests, not just tests in school, but tests in life, of course. And I look at this chapter, you know, with the exception of verse 10, the whole of the chapter I just read, it's a record of Jonah's prayer. But you see, what's remarkable, and it is remarkable, given that Jonah had just disobeyed God. I mean, Jonah's running away from God. Jonah's in desperate circumstances, but it's the way he prayed. That's how do you pray? We're going to learn a lot tonight from the way Jonah prayed. I mean, in these dreadful circumstances down there in the big fish, you'd expect, I would have expected just a, a disorganized cry for rescue. The kind of prayer we pray, focusing on our needs, lamenting our difficulty, when we're in trouble. But you heard that prayer tonight. It wasn't at all like that. I mean, the, for all his failings, running away from God, the spiritual maturity shown in Jonah's prayer, well, it makes his disobedience all the more surprising. I, I mean, it's really, his disobedience must be out of character. His failure to do God's bidding is, it's unusual in every way. I mean, for one thing, his, his disobedience came from what? Well, a good understanding of what God was like. He knew the merciful heart of God. He knew that God would be merciful to the Ninevites, and that actually catalyzed his disobedience. Not often we disobey God because we know his heart. But, but it is a warning, and it's a warning. I don't want to say this for you more mature Christians. There's some very veteran Christians here. The, the word is from Scripture, take heed lest you fall. I talked about falling this morning, but, but that, that's a, a genuine danger. You see, the, the reality is we, we can know a lot about God, but certainly for our own purposes, we can somehow ignore what we know to be true. And the thing I stressed this morning, that only His will is right and perfect. We learn only his will is right and perfect. You can forget that. A mature Christian can forget that. And it's a warning to keep that very focused in our mind. Of course, I, I think about Jonah. I mean, he'd scarcely be able to think straight. I mean, they, 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 given these incredible circumstances, I came across a saying of the famous diarist Samuel Johnson. He famously wrote once, he, he wrote, Nothing clears the mind like knowing you'll be certainly shot in the morning. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I wonder about that. I think if I knew I was going to be shot in the morning, I'd, I'd scarcely be able to think straight. It's hard to think straight in a crisis. And so I thought about this. How did Jonah manage this fantastic prayer, given the circumstance he was in? And I, I came to the conclusion it was a kind of reflex action prayer that, that, that what Jonah was doing is praying like he usually did. He was praying with words that he must have memorized. And that became clear to me as I studied the prayer, as I read through the prayer. I thought, Jonah's praying in a disciplined way, but, but, but he's using words that ring a bell even with me. They're words from the Psalms. 
It seems that Jonah was used to speaking God's word in God's presence by praying the Psalms. That's a good thing, by the way. Nothing. If you're desperate for a, a nice way of praying, pray the Psalms. Pray God's word to him. It, Jonah, I believe, had been in the habit, as we talked this morning about listening to God, very important. He must have been in the habit of listening to God by such writings as Psalms. Uh, because you get this by he didn't do what certainly I tend to do and what we tend to do, listing our needs. One of the ways I miss Vivian, she made me sit down every morning with a word and she'd get the missionary list out and remind me of everyone we needed to pray for. And I suddenly find myself praying about all my trivial problems and needs and, and, and those things. And I'm, 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 I'm thinking as I study this prayer, this is amazing. In these circumstances, his prayer focused on the Lord, not just his circumstances. I'd have been able to think of nothing else but my circumstances. And I think this is a very important example for us. Whatever our circumstances, um, we need to receive from the Lord, and we don't let our circumstances determine the total focus of our prayer. And I think it's a very important thing when you're praying to have the Word of God open to receive as well as transmit. Because Vivian, in 50 years, had learned a lot about me, and she used to say, you know, David, you're a better transmitter than receiver. You're not listening. That was when she was trying to tell me something. But, hey, it was true, you know, about the Lord. We, we should receive as well as transmit to Him when we're before Him in prayer. Very important. I always admired, you know, I, I don't know what it was, but she had this little, I can talk a bit more about it now, she wouldn't allow me to say this if she was here, but she had this knack of, um, well, let me give you a couple of examples, if you don't mind. Malcolm said I could go at a quarter past, so I'll tell you. We were having our quiet time. I was an elder at the time, this is a year or two back, and she said, David, um, you go and visit Charlie French today. Now, Charlie's desperately ill. He had prostate cancer that had spread. And I said, oh, I'll go, I'll go. No, no, go this morning. No, no, I'm going to go. I'm busy. I, got, I haven't checked my emails and had a long list. She said, go. So I well, okay, I'll go. She said, I know you should go this morning. So I'll go and see Charlie. I get to the house. His wife said, he won't know you're here, but coming in. So I hold his hand, start praying. And he responds. He makes groaning noises. He moves with excitement. Of course he knows him there. He squoze my hand when I prayed. And I said, yeah, I know he's conscious enough of, of when you talk to the Lord. And I got home. An hour later, I'm just, just getting a coffee, getting the day organized. The phone goes, Mary, his wife calls, said, Charlie's with the Lord. Oh, man. She, Vivian said, I knew you should go. She's listening, in a way, to the Holy Spirit. And, and so, not long after that, funny enough, a quiet time again, she said, you should, Rosella Ray is another single um, mother, a single sister, older sister in our assembly, she should go and see Rosella. Okay, I'll go and see Rosella. No, you go today. Well, you know, I'm always putting these pastoral visits up. In fact, you go this morning. Well, I kind of thought about Charlie. I thought, okay, I'll go. <laughs> so I go and see Rosella. She's in intensive care, eyes shining. So pleased to see me. Not pale and weak, but with shining eyes. And we prayed, talked about heaven, because we knew that she didn't have long. 
Early afternoon, get a call from a daughter. Mom's with the Lord. In fact, when I was telling the assembly about this, someone said, by the way, don't come and see me. <laughs> I'll die of shock. I said, no, it's only when, it's only when Vivian says go that you don't go. I shouldn't take so long, but, but, I, but, but it is this point of listening to the Lord that was a reality that, that, that I struggled to discover. And, and of course, let me get back to the, to the serious content. Jonah's words actually came from the Psalms. I don't expect you to get all this down. I know Brother Malcolm will be asking for the references and all that, but just illustrations of the phrases that come from the Psalms. In my distress, Psalm 18:6. 121. I'll do this quickly. He talks about Sheol, used, of course, um, in Psalm 18, 4 and 5. All your waves and billows pass over me, Psalm 42, 7. From your presence, uh, no, the waters close in over me, sorry, Psalm 69, 2. Redeem my life from the pit, Psalm 30, verse 3. My soul is fainting within me, 142, 3. Deliverance belongs to the Lord, great statement, 3.8. Upon your holy temple, 5.7, and so forth. Just the way those phrases come time and time again from the Psalms. And I, you know, that, that is a very useful thing to think about. It, it, Jonah's response in prayer reminds us of the value of memorizing Scripture when we're young. His mother's sitting with his girl, they're homeschooling, but you see, memorizing scripture is part of the curriculum. It's great. These little kids this morning saying Bible verses, starting to but You see, if you can build on that, it's tremendously important. And if you have grandchildren, I talk grandchildren these days, um, you think about the importance of that. Because i got to tell you, as we age, we experience a variety of health crises, but it includes declining memory. I've got to keep looking at my sheet. Ezra, Abigail, because I can't remember the names as well as I used to. But I could tell you great long poems that I learned when I was in Sunday school. Man, I could keep you till 10 o'clock tonight reciting stuff that I said at the Sunday school program when I was eight years old. And you'd say, man, why did I come tonight? But that's I won't do it. But you see, it shows a value of memory. Psalms like Psalm 23, they remain as a wonderful resource when you're struggling to find words to pray, especially in declining health and old age. So I want to commend this. I wish I had had this word when I was just a young Christian, because I, I can't memorize now uh, like I used to. You see, but here's John, is it, is expressing mature truth about God. And I've got to conclude that he knew the Psalms, he was in the habit of praying like that, and he had a good grasp of God's character, and he, despite his disobedience, had a mature relationship with God. But of course, that didn't mean things went great. You know what happened, everything changed. They went from bad to worse. We got changes it's either bad, or, it's, it's, it's either good or bad, but it, it can be from bad to worse, and it certainly was with Jonah, because he made a foolish decision to ignore God's call. And again, I'm, I'm re-emphasizing the same thing, that this is a warning to the well-taught believers, a clear warning. If you're a 
You know, if you're a veteran in the faith and you've been in an assembly for many years, what it, you've got to remain vigilant and responsive. And it's a tragedy in senior years if you begin to stumble. Now, you young guys at the back say, what are you talking about, senior years? But they come, and they come fast. And, 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 and prayer's a challenge. It's actually a chance to all of us who, who are into what I call the lost wallet praying. Every time there's a little problem, we pray. But we rarely pray about the fulfillment of God's purposes, about the coming of his kingdom. Uh, but, but here's Jonah, setting an example, sinner though he was, because he knew God wasn't just a supplier of need. He knew God was the one whose ways and works deserve our praise and worship. And always approach God like that. God, when you go before God, he's a God whose ways and, and, and works deserve your praise and your worshipful response. And it's just amazing to me that Jonah, in the belly of the fish, in the worst kind of trouble, in fact, I was examining these psalms. I won't go out to, to the details, but you know there's two kinds of psalms. There's psalms of lament, and the psalms of praise and thanksgiving. And I thought, well, I know what Jonah's going to be doing in the belly of the whale. He'll use the psalms of lament. And I thought, these are actually the psalms of praise and thanksgiving. So I'm saying that Jonah's prayer was clearly caused by his circumstances, but was not determined by them. What a lesson. Oh, bad circumstances cause us to pray, and good thing they do, and nothing wrong with that. But don't let circumstances totally determine your prayer. Jonah did what we need to do. Choose to include praise when you're before the Lord. And it is a challenge. I mean, ask yourself, is my prayer life more than just circumstance-focused? Is it more than just expressing my needs and my subjective feelings? A lot of prayer is like that, and that's good. But how much of our prayer is focused on things far larger than our immediate circumstances as we recognize and respond to what the greatness of the God to whom we pray? How much of your prayer is praise? Think about that when you're praying tomorrow. And take time to, to review the depth and the focus of your prayers. Well, you know... Prayers are an important spiritual barometer. If you want to check if you've ever made progress in the last 10 years, think, is my prayer just like it used to be? Have, have I made any progress? Well, that's, that, those are general lessons. And do remember, prayer is a spiritual barometer. But let's get quickly now into Jonah's prayer to learn three marks. I want to leave you with three marks tonight in about 20 minutes of mature and effective prayer from Jonah's prayer. Three things Jonah included that we all need to put into our prayers if we're to be effectively used by the Lord to bring blessing to others. So number one, Jonah's prayer included contrition and an honest acceptance of God's sovereign control. We're back to recognizing God's will again. You see, Jonah's emphasis throughout this prayer is, is not all on his failure. It's more on his, the actions of God. Now, we do need to confess our failure, and, and Jonah had to recognize his folly, and he does that. But really, the focus is more on what God chooses to do to save him. Uh, and Jonah, well, he, he proved the truth of the psalm, where, I can, where, 
Where can I flee from your presence? So in verse 2, he says, I'm crying from the depth of Sheol. Uh, Jonah, that's of course the depth of the grave. Uh, Jonah realized his desperate need and he cried, it says in the, in the King James, out of the belly of Sheol, as some versions have it. Well, Sheol's a place of departed spirits and, and, and Jonah was describing himself as, a, I'm, a, I'm as good as a dead man. Uh, and, and uh, well, he knew that unless the Lord intervened, his condition was hopeless. That Sheol was about to lay his claim on him. So he sees that, and he says in uh, verse 3, he recognized that, that God hurled him into death. Verse, verse 3 says, you hurled me into the deep. And Jonah realized that, it, that oh, oh, of course, it was the sailors that threw him overboard in chapter 1, but he realized the sailors were just instruments in the hand of God. So Jonah recognized, and this is an ongoing theme in this series, what we need to recognize that everything that happens to us is in fact in God's sovereign control. And that's hard to take sometimes. Being thrown overboard is no fun at all, but you see, everything that happens to us is in God's sovereign control. Now, God had to use very extraordinary means to get Jonah to re-establish communication. Uh, he had to drive Jonah to the place of such terror that he's ready to fall in line with God's plan. And he said, I'm calling him to swear. But he saw something very important. Ultimately, it was God that threw him off that boat. Well, why would God do that? Well, you know why. It was a wake-up call. You know what happens when you sleep. We had it this morning. I can't hear you when I'm asleep. We've had a lot about the danger of sleeping today. But God needed to wake him up. Wake him up wise so he could still use him. And God does stuff like this. Wakes us up and he does it sometimes in unwelcome ways. Remember Hebrews 12, 6? Don't make light the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord, I love this, the Lord disciplines who? The one he loves. He chastens everyone who? That he accepts as a child. And when that rebuke, that chasing, that difficult thing comes and you say, this is the Lord. Oh, this is a sign that he loves me. This is a reminder of his child. So we have to accept those things because, you see, God uses, he uses even sinful acts to accomplish his purpose. I mean, actually, Scripture's full of examples of God using wicked people to fulfill his plans. He did it here. He did it with the sailors and all the... You think, well, uh, the classic example, think of Joseph's brothers. They threw him into the well. They left him to die. And when he finally meets them, one of the most wonderful stories in Scripture, he finally meets his brothers who had left him in the well, but he's now recognized God meant it for good, and he said to them just the same thing. It was not you that did this, but God. What a right. Joseph's brothers, the sailors in Jonah's boat, what were they? They were ungodly. They were sinful men, but they were instruments. Sinners, yes, but instruments in God's hand to fulfill his purpose. That every person can be like that. And Jonah recognized God's control in all his circumstances. And even as he sinks into the awful depth of that turbulent sea, he sees that. 
his Jonah, he sees his misery, he couldn't miss his misery, but he recognized it was God that caused it. But how did he respond? I mean, he didn't blame his circumstances. He didn't argue those sailors are responsible. He realized, I'm in desperate straits. I know why. And he understood that situation so well that you'd think maybe he'd become embittered against God. Beware of that. You see, he knew that on the one hand, this realization that God had brought him such misery it likely increased his terror of his situation, but on the other hand, the acknowledgement of God's presence, even in judgment, would be a comfort. You see, because the ultimate terror, verse 40 expresses this for Jonah, the ultimate terror would to be banished from God's sight. Jonah knew, in fact, we have to realize it's better to fall into God's hand even in judgment than to be apart from him in any circumstances. Better to fall into God's hand even in judgment than to be apart from him in any circumstances. I told you this morning, God is a God of judgment. We, we, we neglect this. But we learn from Jonah that God's judgment's always tempered by his mercy and it's always motivated by his desire to what? Bring us into line with his will. Because the ultimate terror for the believer is to be separated from God. I mean, that's the very definition of hell. If you want to know what hell is, it's separation from God. And if you're not a believer in Christ, it might mean nothing to you. So what's the big deal about that? But, but if you have a relationship with God, if you're a Christian who knows God, to be banished from his sight, it's absolutely the worst fate imaginable. It's the ultimate terror. And Jonah knew that. Now, of course, let me say, to make this clear, separation from God is a terror that, that no true Christian could ever experience as a reality. If you're a born-again believer, it's wonderfully true, and I want to say this not to, to discourage anyone, because Romans 8.39 says, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can rest on that. What a promise. So don't let my talk about being separated from God instill that kind of fear. But let's understand the importance of that first mark of including contrition and an honest acceptance of God's sovereign control. But quickly, Mark 2, Jonah's prayer, it included a sincere acknowledgement of his place with sinners. I think about this a lot, you know. You think about, well, think about all the restoration stories in the Bible. The, the classic is, of course, the restoration of the prodigal son that the Lord Jesus told in the New Testament. In many ways, it's similar to this Old Testament story of restoration because both these men, the prodigal and Jonah, they had to be brought where? To the place of total misery. They were both in the most smelly and miserable place. One was a pigsty, the other was a belly of a fish, but man, they were both smelly, stinky places, and they both repented. They honestly admitted their failure. We need to do that. You know, lying is, is, is almost routine today, and you can forget that you can't lie to God. You, 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 you know, we have to tell the truth about ourselves, of course, to everyone, but it's easy to tell the truth to God because he knows it. 
And Jonah knew, I'm going to be lunch for a whole week for this fish unless God does something. He had no illusions here. But it was that sense of hopelessness that caused Jonah, as with the prodigal, to think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be reconciled again with the Father? Wouldn't it be wonderful to enjoy the blessings that a relationship with him brings into our lives? And so they both realized, no question, they realized that they had to repent, they had to confess their folly in order to be, well, any hope of reestablishing a relationship with the Lord, even if you want to enjoy it, requires this. And it's not easy, don't fool yourself. Here's Lucy again, because she's quite a character, she's going crazy here, banging the floor, because mom's canceled a birthday party. She's done something that deserved that. And he, she said, she promised me a birthday party, and now you say I can't have one. It's not fair. Linus Wisey said, you know, you're not using the right strategy. She said, what? She said, the more you fuss, the worse off you'll be. Well, why don't you just admit it was all your own fault? Well, why not just go up to mum and say to her, look, I'm sorry, dear mother, I admit I've been bad, and you were right to cancel my party. From now on, I'll try to be good. Well, Lucy thinks about that for the moment. She said, I'd rather die. <laughs> I, said, I can't do that. No, but it's, it is hard. You see, but it's an important step for, for, for renewal for Jonah. Verse 9 it captures this. And, and we read this wonderful words. He says, I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. And I read that, and I thought, you could compare that with the sailors. The sailors said in verse 16 of chapter 1, it says, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And they're both having to do this. And I thought, well, in the end, Jonah was ready to take his place with the ungodly. He simply echoed the sailors' words. The sailors were heathens. And I don't know how they learned to approach God as he must be approached. Jonah had talked to them. Uh, anyway, through the blood of an innocent victim, sacrifice for sin is the way we approach God. You know the gospel. A personal commitment, a real vow, that's the way of salvation. And Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, he has to approach God. How? By sacrifice and a vow. It's the only way. And Jonah's ready to do that. So now, Jonah, despite all his protestations before, came to God, not as one said, well, I have special privileges, I'm Jewish, I'm a prophet. He said, I'm just coming like those sailors, I'm a sinful human being. You see, nobody, you say, well, I'm going to talk more about repentance next Sunday, but no one has ever truly repented until they've really acknowledged there's nothing that could possibly commend me to God, there's nothing I could do no one's ever been saved by saying, I'm going to do things so God will accept me. Never forget that. You know that. You know the way of salvation. But Jonah, like all of us, needed to take his place with sinners in order to find salvation. Hard to do for many. But all of them, whether they were Jews or pagans, and all of us, we need to listen to this warning. And it goes beyond just that little word. Look at verse 8. must move quickly. It said, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I think that's the NIV. What a warning. You say, well, don't go off into idolatry. That's Old Testament stuff. I want to tell you, modern forms of idolatry infect sophisticated, 
Western, American Christians, Canadian Christians, we need to recognize. You know what idolatry is. Surely it's, it's not these statues for us. It's it, anything that we love and trust more than loving the Lord and trusting wholly in Him can become an idol. Anything at all that decreases our love for God or interferes with our service for God can become an idol, and that can include legitimate things. There are lots of options. Say, what idols are you talking about? Well, there's pleasure, there's materialism, there's self-absorption. But hey, in the church there's social activism. Great, we should be active socially, but any of those sins could seduce us into idolatry in a sense that it's interfering with our love for God because it begins to consume us uh, just as action and not worship. It's why John, how does First John finish his epistle? He said, well, at the end of the day, dear children, just keep yourselves from idols. So listen to verse 8. Let those that cling to worthless idols hear that they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Challenging verse. But Mark 3, quickly, Wow, time flies when you're preaching. It's, it's not only when you're having fun that time flies. <laughs> His prayer included thanksgiving and a real faith in God's deliverance. Notice the confidence that John expressed in verse 9. He said, I'll sing a song of thanksgiving as a sacrifice to you. This is about how we pray, right? How important that we include thanksgiving and praise to God. And I've said it, but I'm saying it again. And even before Jonah gets his feet on dry ground, he's ready to thank God. He's confident about what God's going to do. And it's just part of worship. Thanksgiving is an essential part of worship. This morning we had a breaking of bread. We worshipped, but central to it was thanksgiving because that's the kind of sacrifice we offer. We, what was the sacrifice that we offer well, we'll continually, Hebrews 13, 15, we will continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And we need to do that. I, I don't know why I keep thinking of, of the wonderful spiritual woman that Vivian was, but I remember once my car on an icy road. You don't know anything about black ice down here, but it's New Year's Day, icy road. I'm going to speak at a big conference. I'm going through my notes. They hadn't salted the roads. Vivian's driving. She suddenly said, Oh, David! I look up. We're going backwards. And in a few seconds, we're in the ditch. Cars smashed. We weren't hurt, but cars smashed. And I, oh, man, I can't make the conference. My car is smashed. Uh, by the way, Mike Atwood had a similar experience yesterday. Pray for him. Car hit. A wheel came off his car. He's okay, though. Right? He's okay. Mike Atwood. My cat was okay. His wheel came off his car, hit the median in England, and, uh, and rental car wreck. Well, my car was in the same state. But now, I want to tell you, I'm trying to get my seatbelt off, and Vivian said, Don't touch that seatbelt. I said, Why? You don't move till you thank the Lord. I said, Thank the Lord? My car's wrecked. I'm not going to make a conference. What do you think? Thank the Lord? She said, We could have been killed. We're not hurt. You thank the Lord, so be glad. I said, Lord, thank you. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Oh, we can thank the Lord so often. I've forgotten my message. I shouldn't tell you this story. Yeah, well, well, I was talking about sacrifices. Our sacrifices are not the blood of animals, 
but it's praise to the Lord, thanksgiving. That's the sacrifice we make to God. And so here's Jonah with great faith now, with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. It's enthusiastic praise and prayer. He says in verse 6, You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Chapter 1 would be going down, down, down. Now it's like Psalm 40. It's... He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on the rock. He gave me a place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. What a psalm for us to pray. And it graphically describes Jonah's testimony, and surely it's our testimony. Every believer here tonight could sing that hymn, I was sinking deep in sin sinking to rise no more, but the Savior lifted me, lifted me to sink no more. We should always be ready to sing praises to our God. Now what brought about Jonah's final deliverance? I've got to get him out of that well before we finish. Jonah's deliverance came from his realization in verse 9, central to this whole Message of the Bible, salvation comes from the Lord. What a summary of the message of the Bible. You know, I think it's great the way these chapters end. Remember, chapter 1 finishes with God provided. God provided. Chapter 2, salvation comes from the Lord. These two statements, the foundation of the gospel, the basis of all we believe as Christians. And Jonah declares what the Bible emphasizes from start to finish, we're saved only and completely by the mercy and grace of God in providing a way of salvation. You see, all of us were like Johnny, you say, well, this is, we're in a position where there's no escape. But here we are. The intervention of the Almighty is the way the chapter finishes. And note this, as soon as Jonah is able to say salvation is the Lord, of the Lord God responded immediately and completely. And verse 10 says, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What a great ending to the chapter. The fish deposited Jonah where he needed to be. I mean, it didn't vomit Jonah where, near where it swallowed him. It didn't vomit him, hey, swimming distance from the shore is not good enough. When God saves us, he places us in a position of complete safety. His salvation is perfect, it's complete, because God always completes his work. We rest, brothers and sisters, on Christ's cry of victory. It is finished. And I want to finish the day by saying, whatever storms and tempests God allows to come into your life, even if he chastens you to refine you, you can always say, in the words of Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that God, who began a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Christ. Jonah finished up on dry land. He was ready to be cleaned up and given a second chance. And if you're one of those people that's failed God and you're discouraged, remember this, God always has a plan B. You may fall down a hole. I've got to tell you, God has a plan B, has a plan C, has a plan D. And if you would stop trying to manipulate things and second-guess God's plan and just surrender your life to his perfect will, then you discover, like Jonah, that blessing will come. And what happens will be a great blessing. You may not understand all that God's doing in your life, but God, and I must quickly finish with this, God wants to take you to a place of safety on dry land where you'll have new opportunities to serve him. 
And ultimately this, remember, brothers and sisters, God will take you, all of us who know Christ, to a new land to enjoy his presence forever. Ultimately, we don't live now we only, we look to them. Ultimately, to the dry land of glory. The land that is fairer than day, we sing. By faith, I can see it afar. And I want to tell you as we conclude tonight, the Lord who prepared a great fish to save Jonah is the same Lord, and we sing it, who's preparing us a dwelling place there. So I just ask that you think about your prayer life, and may our prayers, like Jonah's, always include contrition and acceptance of God's control. Always go with a sincere acknowledgement of our place with sinners. And always include that thanksgiving and praise and real faith in God's deliverance. Father, help us, we ask to look at our prayer life and to live in the light of that land that by faith we can see. We are sinners, Lord. We can't hide our guilt from you. But we thank you that you control. And having taken our place with sinners, we come to you and pray that you will help us to live lives of praise to your glory as we look forward ultimately to your wonderful deliverance. We give you thanks and pray your blessing on this congregation in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. One last result of no Vivian. I went five minutes over. She'd have been going. <laughs> but God bless you. Next week, a big chapter three. The greatest revival in the history of humanity. <laughs>